Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. Uh, this is Barnsey and I'm here tonight with Billy chatting exactly one week away from our first game of the 2019 season. I can smell the grass, Billy. I'm excited. I can smell TLT, mate. Ready to go. Well, TLT's even closer. Jeez. Um, there's, a, there's a reason why they call it the Supercoach Christmas. It's, um, it's exciting times next Tuesday, only a few days away, mate. It's going to be fantastic. Um, how's your team coming along? Are you finding the preseason an easy one or a bit hard? No, nah, it's a difficult one this year. Um, even with all the cheapies, I kind of figured that I'm not going to lie, it is easy to get a lot of the people that you want in there. But I think there's a couple of barren wastelands like that front row forward and um, and bench hooker role, which are making it a bit of a pain pending TLT. Yeah, for sure, mate. I'm I'm pretty much the same. I've actually I think I found it probably the easiest that I can remember at least for about three or four years. But um, that's probably all going to change on Tuesday. Uh, but one thing that always will does. change, yeah, it always does, um, is uh, some trial carnage as well. So for everyone listening, this episode, um, now that we've gone through all the team previews, we're going to go for an around the grounds, looking at injuries, potential team changes, um, and also positional changes that have come across from the trials. Uh, and then on the back of that, at the end, we're going to do a little strategy segment uh, based around bioplanning just really quickly. So let's start off with around the grounds, though. Um, and we'll start off with the suspensions because they're obviously the big talking point in all the headlines and everything. Uh, Jack DeBellin, he initially a week ago looked like um, for Supercoach relevancy there was going to be a, a couple of names that might have come into the fray um, in Blake Laurie and also Jacob Host who might have started for him um, and then there was also some talk that people like Paul Vaughan etc might get minutes. It, it's come out to just tonight that um, he's actually free to play next week at the moment after his court case which is just pretty astounding that the NRL's handled how they've handled it. But we won't get into that on a Supercoach podcast. At the moment, he's playing. But I think that we believe that we can pretty much talk about it like he's going to get stood down. So looking at it from that point of view, considering that Jack DeBellin won't be playing next round for round one, um, did you pinpoint anyone that you think is going to be a major beneficiary or people that are going to be more Supercoach relevant? Yeah, I'm not, not sure about major beneficiaries, but um, I was pretty keen for, for the last couple of months on that um, Blake on uh, Laurie. I think he he was listed in the 13 jersey uh, last year when um, Debellin played that one Origin round. I was kind of hoping that he might have been the one to benefit a little bit, especially if he's going to play in the middle. Although that that one game last year he only played the 30 minutes, so that wasn't that kind of capped that pipe dream a little bit, but. Um, at his price, I think it was around sort of 214 or something like that. I was kind of hoping that whether or not he started, he might have had some inflated minutes and been one of those uh, dodgy options for the two dodgy um, bench front row spots. Um, host is the other one, like you mentioned, although I'm uh, not sure what his PPM is like or how many minutes he would have got. I just kind of like the uh, the Laurie factor with and, and uh, his work rate. Yeah, it's... They're both similarly priced. Host is 196k, and and Laurie's about uh, 215, and um, both of them are dual second row forward, front row forward, which is handy. Um, I guess the key difference between the two is that um, Host PPM is pretty poor. Um, it was you know, 0.55 last year, 
in six games and the, the year before it was 0.74 and a bit higher the year before that. So that's nothing like Blake Laurie, who um, is obviously more of a middle um, than an, an edge player like host can be. Uh, Laurie's 1.05 ppm last season and the season before, and that's across a decent amount of games as well, more than a dozen games across those two seasons. So uh, Laurie's ppm's definitely better, um, and he definitely would have been the better player for us to get benefit from. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to buy either of them probably unless one of them got named to start. And even then, I would have probably said it could be a bit of a trap because um, they've got Corbin Sims coming back um, a couple of a couple of games in. Um, so maybe that would have been a little bit of a factor as well. Yeah, true. The um, the only thing I'm going to add there is um, just going to take you back to 2018. I think a lot of people didn't buy. Um, Ryan Madison for that reason everyone said Look, he's only going to get one game and then someone's going to come back and he's going to go back to the bench again and then all of a sudden the bloke started getting 60 minutes, 60 minutes, 80 minutes 80 minutes, I think the year before there was another position in the hearts where someone had the same deal, it was only supposed to be there for one game but there just seems to be a precedent, a lot of players who come in for one or two games and then perform pretty well or the injury sort of lags on and guys just end up staying there so I reckon if you get um, a bloke like that um, throwing you a gift or a lifeline, then if you can't find anyone else, then just just take it and hope that they um, at least maybe get a couple of good games under their belt and that third or fourth game, even if they go back to bench and only score 30, 40 points, that they've got a decent enough negative break-even to give you a bit of a quick um, quick rise. Yeah, that's true as well. And one of the constants in rugby league um, with those guys that you spoke about that kept getting extra opportunities is that once the season starts, the injuries and suspensions start to pile up, particularly for Fords. So, if, I mean, for example, yeah. um, someone like James Graham's in that St. George pack, and he was a walking HIA last year, as it was, along with his neck injury and other problems. So, Tarek Sims is another guy um, that doesn't mind a suspension as well. They've got quite an aggressive pack, so it might not even it might not be the worst thing in the world to... Um, take the pun on someone like Laurie if he starts, even if he ends up back to the bench because he might end up getting the opportunity later. Probably the other thing as well that I like about it is um, Host and, and Laurie are only um, you know 196 and 215k, so they're not really guys that are going to be a big mistake. They're, they're probably at some point going to make you money, even if you whiff out a few rounds in, in them getting as many minutes as you would have hoped for. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, front rows, you said front rows are a barren wasteland. It really is. I probably got Laurie penciled in if I can't find anyone else cheap enough to, to plug into that last front row forward spot. Yeah, same, mate. He's an option. Um, the only other guy I was thinking about a little bit was Paul Vaughan because I was wondering if he was going to get some extra minutes. Um, and I also did look at Tyson Frizzell um, since he's going to go to lock. But um, both of those guys I ended up steering clear from, although they seem like they could be you know, solid, if not ballsy options. Yeah, um, you know I had this thing for Vaughan a couple of years ago, especially when he um, first got the starting, the starting gig at the Dragons. Although, um, it, to be honest, I thought he was going to get a few more minutes that year. I kind of figured he would have been getting 55. I just got lucky um, with those tries because he would end up getting sort of 48 minutes or something or other. So I'm not really prepared to jump on a forward. doesn't matter how good they are playing sort of around 50 minutes. If he could get like an extra six or seven minutes, it'd be absolutely mint. But um, yeah, without any more trials and no way to sort of guarantee that, it's a pretty pricey experiment on someone, mate. Yeah, one of the things as well as far as a strategy goes is um, 
I fall into this as well with trials and guys being out and extra opportunity and stuff. For round one, I, I kind of put pressure on myself to um, either choose someone or not. And it's not really how it is. Um, and what I try to do is when I get in that mindset, I sort of step away and I look at it and go, well, if I need to trade this guy in in two or three rounds, if he looks really good, is that going to be a better option than starting with him round one? Um, and that's probably going to be the case with most of these guys, to be honest. I probably prefer with all of them just to park them and see what the landscape's like after round two, after we see a couple of games. And then you can always use one of your trades to get them in. Yeah, true, mate. So the only other guy that's um, got a suspension at the moment, or actually guys, I should say, first one's Dylan Walker. We were already hoping that there was going to be a, a good cheapie in place for that. That's a pretty easy one because I feel like whatever cheapie's name for Manly, we're obviously just going to get him straight in. Um, so that's just going to be an opportunity for everyone. But the other guy is Tyrone May, which is a little bit trickier at the Panthers. So he's been stood down as well. It looks to me like that's going to open the door for Egan but I'm not sure whether that's going to mean that we can possibly look at him as a second hooker if he might get 40 minutes a game or whether it's just not going to be super coach relevant for us. Yeah, if you're going to be taking a hooker who's going to get 40 minutes a game, you probably really want it to be like a base price, like like rarely. I'm not really keen on buying someone that price. It's um, it's probably sort of a waste of a 60 or 70 grand. It's going to really, really cut into your profit. I'd probably rather take a, uh, a dual enough that's going to help me move around a little bit later. Yeah, I agree, mate. Um, I don't think the May suspension is going to do much for us from a super coach perspective. I- I'm really quite surprised, actually, that Egan didn't just get the starting gig because he's been talked about in- at Penrith for about three years now as the future starting number nine. So I-, I was a little bit surprised he's not going to be the starter. But um, the only other thing that I did... Take- takes five years over at Penrith, mate. Five-year plan. He's another two years before he's going anywhere. Yeah, well, there's a few. They've got so many good juniors there that come through. They just, I just don't think they have enough um, opportunity to be able to play them all. They've got such a good catchment area. But if Egan doesn't get that jumper, Billy, the other thing that might be super coach relevant is if they throw another forward in that bench role because they do have Fuimano who can play sort of in the centres or go into the backs or play as a back rower. That might be super coach relevant as far as the minutes distribution goes if they end up with a four forward bench. For the nine? Yeah, because I mean, May was going to have that utility role where he was probably going to play um, a bit of hooker and a bit of lock potentially. So I guess I was a little bit worried that they might get another forward in instead of him if Egan doesn't win that jumper. Yeah, I'd, I'd can't, I really hope that doesn't happen because I really want to get that um, uh, kick out when he comes back after about sort of six after about sort of six or seven weeks, and the last thing I want is a four forward bench then. Everyone's kind of hoping that, he, that he's going to be around to play sort of eight, um, 80, so don't want anything mucking around mucking around with his potential buy lead, uh, purchase leading into the buys. Yeah, for sure, mate. Any of those four forward benches, are, you know, they can play absolute hazard with your super coach forward lineups, especially for round one. So... Hopefully Egan just gets it, um, and then it's just going to be all around super coach irrelevant, but also not affect anything. Um, so moving on from the suspensions, let's have a quick talk about the injuries. The the major one was uh, Turbo. Um, now the original injury diagnosis was a lot worse than what it seems to be now. Um, some people were saying that Desi was playing a few mind games and stuff, but at the moment it's been reported he's now going to officially miss the first two rounds of the season. Obviously can't start with him. Really annoyed about this injury, and it wasn't because I was a turbo owner. It was because I wasn't. 
I've got a rotation at the moment between 5'8 and fullback of Moylan, who we'll talk about later, uh, Tedesco and Ponga. And now I just see this injury as just meaning that more people are going to jump on, particularly Tedesco and, and Ponga. Yeah, it's just annoying, isn't it? <laughs> I think when when he, when he was first uh, when he was healthy, um, it was, he, I think he was dead set the the one person that, that I was actually scared of not owning because he can go one fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty in a heartbeat, and then you're chasing your tail. So when he when he was uh, when he was injured, I kind of figured, look, this is a blessing in disguise. But uh, now every every man his dog is going to be on drink water, so it was even more annoying. But now that uh, now that drink water's out, I think everyone, I think it's probably leveled the playing field a little bit more because now everyone has to try and find a replacement for drink water, and all of a sudden they have to find an extra three or four hundred k, unless you're willing to chuck, you know, um, Alan down there and find something else to do with your centre three quarter. But I think either way, it's the same result. Everyone needs to sort of find a a, a mid price or a gun uh, somewhere else in a pack, and I think that really opens up the competition again. Yeah, well, I think Tedesco went up by about 10% in about a week after Turbo got injured. So um, that's he was already highly owned, um, so that's going to be even more annoying um, for Tedesco owners. But um, Tedesco's too good to try and be tricky about it. I'll just stick with it, even though he's going to be even more highly owned. What it does do, though, is it does open up for smart coaches the ability to get Turbo in at low ownership. Um, and that's probably a strategy that I would look at. Um, with Turbo going down, he's going to come back and at least by round four, he's going to be probably be firing and a lot of coaches are going to struggle to have him in their side. So he's going to be really low ownership and probably teams will have a few more issues to sort out later on. What I would do, um, if you wanted to look at trying to get Turbo in, I'd be trying to get him in pretty early and I'd be looking at making sure that I had some dual players in place in that second fullback slot so I could move guys around. And basically, so any injury that I get, even if it's in the second row or the centre wing, I can trade that injury out, move my second fullback around via Jules and get Turbo in at a really low ownership. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I'm going a slightly different route in that I really want to get Ponga before him, before Turbo because um, although Newcastle have a decent starting run to the season, they have an absolutely epic draw from around sort of six. I think they've got... Eels, Warriors, Titans, uh, something around like that for about sort of four rounds. So um, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, it's going to be a conundrum, mate. You, there's lots of lots of quality people to have in that fullback spot. One of them is going to be Teddy, but um, yeah, I think that sort of round four, that that round sort of five and six onwards, everyone's going to be tossing up. You know. Um, Ponga doesn't fire from the start. Is he going to start a fire from then, or is Teddy going to kick off with them? Which one do you get? Yeah, it's a it's a real conundrum. Um, I mean, one of the things that I'm uh, at the moment with my setup is that I've got Ponga and Moylan who can interchange between five eight and um, and fullback. And Cronulla don't play the round twelve by anyway. So one of the things that I was toying with is um, having a bit of a Moylan run, making quite a bit of cash off him. And then by about round six, when Teddy, I mean, when Turbo hits his form and he's fully healthy, it could be closer to a straight swap um, with a little bit of extra cash in a second trade for a downgrade um, than what it would have been when you consider that Moylan's only 478k now. I was just going to ask you that just then. Until you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, they, um, I can see I can see why you're starting with um, Moylan. Um, that, that I, I dropped Ponga 
um, to SJ for that exact reason. The Sharks opening draw is just insane. And for um, SJ to be playing on a dry track every week in, in, a, in a team like that, with a draw like that, I think he's got Eels and Titans around two on three or something rather. I just couldn't resist it. So abs- um, absolute, he's just like Pyro, absolute worst case scenario. Like kicking goal, an elite half um, kicking goals. There's no way in hell you're going to lose money. The sky's, the sky's the limit. So, I want like like you. I want to start with a, with with a shark for those early rounds. But yeah, I want to upgrade someone very very quickly to a, a turbo or a, uh, a solid knight that rounds to the sixth. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of the other injuries that we had as well. Uh, your eels boys had quite a big one with uh, Mau Mau gone. I think that it was reported round six, but he might be back a bit earlier now. I'm not too sure with that knee injury um, whether he will be back earlier, like they said. I think they brought it down to maybe round four. Does that open up minutes for some of the other guys, do you think, in that Eels pack? Yeah, 100%, mate. Um, For starters, uh, Lane, surely Lane was purchased to be a starting second row at the Eels. There's there's no way he would have left Manly to come to the Eels and, and kick off the bench. Um, I reckon he probably always had that starting right-hand edge spot, um, probably for 60, 65 minutes, um, maybe even 80. He might, he might have maybe sort of. My initial thoughts were he'd start on right edge and play um, uh, start there, then rotate through the middle, maybe 20 minutes for um, for Brown and play 80, or at least play sort of 60 while Malroa came on. But with um, I think the first trial when when Mao was out, he actually started left edge. I'm pretty sure Wolfred said. Yep. And with with Mao being out now, surely that means he just takes the full 80 minute role on the edge, and we don't need to be concerned about Mao um coming and taking his minutes because Mao will just start right edge surely, or at least rotate with that Nakore bloke, whatever his name is. Um, and also with the the discussion around a bench, a bench utility sort of um, coming in, then that obviously helps the um, the middle forwards a bit too. So they, I think I really think the um, the appeal of uh, Brown as well as uh, Lane has gone through the roof. Yeah, I agree. I think that both of them have gained some value. I think Nathan Brown's really underrated at the moment, and the the Mau injuries really meant that um, he's got even more security because they're going to rely on him for a lot more work. And they're also going to rely on him for his toughness, which Mau obviously brought into that pack in the back row. So um, I dare say that it means that Brown's minutes are going to be really solid. Do you think that he's looking at 65-plus, isn't he, for Brown? Yeah, surely. Uh, in the end of last year, when, he, when, when, the, when the bloke was healthy, he was, um, he was playing almost 80 minutes every sort, of, every sort of second week. He came back round 13, and the first game was off the First game was off the bench and he still played 55 minutes. But from around 14 last year, he was the average 64, 72 minutes. Yeah, I, I reckon he gets 60, 65 to sort of 70, easy old brownie. And he did absolutely nothing in the clutch department last year too, like no line breaks. I'll just double check very quickly, but he might have had one or two, but I can't. I don't nah, he didn't have many. Uh, I think that he had one line one. break all year. And yeah. he, um, if he gets 65 yeah, minutes, one. he's going to get about 65 points and then there's upside to that as well because I mean if I was Brad Arthur I would just be playing around 80 minutes and Brown's said before that he likes to play 80 minutes now that they've got a little bit of a dent in their pack and not a lot of depth for that pack either you know 65 is just sort of the minimum as long as he's playing 65 I'm happy to start with him I'm hoping for 80 
Yeah, you're right. One line break, um, one line break assist last year, and you know he, you know he used to love getting that little ball inside ball away too. That was pretty much non-existent last year. So all he has to do is just be on the park, mate, and he's going to give you what you pay for. Yep. Now that that now that they've got that injury in the park, <laughs> I, I think Brown's the number one buy um, out of that pack. Um, and I'm yeah. I'm really surprised he was only like two point four percent owned last time I checked. So he is a super duper pod for a guy that's averaged sixties and been a gun the last two years, and now has more opportunity for at least the first month of the season. So uh, I I would rather Brown than um, than Lane. Put it that way. Um, I I got Lane in before Brown. Only reason is because my second row is stacked like pretty much everyone else. Um, and the front row forward is a barren wasteland and I have to sort of choose someone there. Yeah, um, I know everyone's going to say, look, um, Lane was heavily inflated by clutch um, clutch scores end of last year, and yeah, he was. But if you strip all that away, the bloke still averaged 51 points off 60-ish kind of minutes last year. And if you add all of his minutes in all of his games at second row last year, I think it was a 61 average off 63 minutes or something around. So... The, mate, the the blokes are pretty much a point per minute kind of beast, and if he's available in the front row and he's going to be playing 80 minutes on the edge, on on that left edge while Mao's away, I just think that he's a frightening prospect for some for some decent scores for a bloke that's only sort of priced at 54. Yeah, I, I was pretty down on on um, Lane in our preseason preview of the Parramatta Eels, but that was because when I was chatting to you about it, I was under the impression that he was. He was not going to get 80 minutes. He was going to get like 60 minutes. And that 60 minutes wasn't going to be enough when he was over 500k. And he can be a little bit of a lower base guy at times when he's not getting his attack and stuff going. It completely changes my view. If he's going to have 80 minutes, um, he becomes a really good buy in the front row forward spot at 508,000. And and like you yeah, said, I'll... he's going to be low 50s for his base anyway. And that extra time he's going to get on the field, you know, he's... He's going to be a 65-point guy if he's um, playing 80 minutes. Yeah, hold on. I'll give you the exact number. Sorry, I was a little bit off because I've got so many different variations of his numbers. But, yeah, um, if you include every single game he started in the 12 jersey last year, he averaged 63.8 off 67 minutes. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's really good. I, th- I think you can bank on 65 if he's going to be playing 80. And Brown, likewise, is going to be a similar sorts of points output. So I think they're the two big winners, and they're probably out of all the injuries and guys that are out. Um, aside from the rookie that will come in for Manly, the biggest beneficiary of the preseason carnage that we've seen, probably. Yeah, I, I like Lane not just because of his numbers, but the sheer size of the guy. The, the, the bloke's a behemoth, mate. So the, the fact that he scored, that he had like two or three or four games where he scored a double, that's no fluke. He just uses his sheer size. So don't be afraid of uh, buying a bloke that relies on clutch because he is going to get some. Yep. All right, I've given you enough time for your Eels Love Fest. We've got to move on. So the uh, <laughs> the West Tigers copped a bit of an injury with uh, Chris Lawrence copping a pretty badly broken jaw. Um, and it is a bad one, so he's going to be out for quite some time. Uh, 12 weeks plus was the initial outlook, it looked like, after some surgery. Um, Luke Garner started in the second row in replace of, of Lawrence. And by all accounts, he looks like a pretty good player. Um, Garner's not... A bottom price rookie, so that's a little bit annoying. Um, he comes in at 265k. Having said that, as far as the mid range type of Fords go, he's probably the cheapest mid range Ford. Um, I just can't get a gauge on whether he's actually going to get the 80 minutes on the edge or, or whether he's going to be played around with a little bit and only get like 50. 
Yeah, I think you're right there, mate. Probably more like 50, I reckon. Um, shame about Lawrence. He's actually a decent bloke. I've had a couple of beers with him at the old Sackville before. He's very, uh, very quiet, humble sort of bloke. But um, I, uh, I, I can't see anyone sort of taking the sort of minutes that he commanded on the left, mate. Quality pub, the Sackville. We used to do a New Year's yeah. Eve uh, pub crawl for about five years straight, and the Sackville was one of our 12 stops. Very nice place for a beer. Occasionally see the Tigers players running around. Mate, there's, uh, I think there's, what, 36 pubs in Balmain and only three of them have a TAB. You can see why it's my local. <laughs> um, Garner, I think that you could start with him, but it's, it might be risky and it could end up in, um, could end up being in a little bit of strife where you're stuck with a guy that's scoring, you know, 40 points a game in his 50 minutes and um, a little bit mediocre, but he's going to make his 100 grand. Even if it seems a little bit disappointing, even if he's playing 50 minutes, he, he still should probably get to 100,000. Um, it just might be a little bit slower than what you probably hope for. Yeah, yeah, mate. I think you're right on the way there. So they're all the major injuries that we've copped. Um, let's have a quick look at the positional changes that are real big discussion points for Supercoach based on the trials and a few things that we've seen. None bigger, um, both physically speaking and also on the impact on Supercoach, is Big Tol Malolo. He's uh, moved from the middle to the edge jersey. Uh, and initially, I was really excited about it, Billy, because um, I, I've thought for many, many years, and I've discussed this with a lot of the guys around the traps, his most damaging position um, is on the edge because he's such a damaging ball runner. He's also got pretty good speed for his size. And running at some smaller defenders and being put out wide a little bit more, I just thought that he's, his TBs would go through the roof, his offloads would be a lot easier and less traffic, and he's going to get over the line for some more tries and line breaks. Having said that, in the trial, um, it looked like what the rotation was. Um, he played for maybe the first half an hour on the edge, and then he moved in the middle, and he played about 60-odd minutes in total. So it looked like that his minutes actually weren't going to change much from what he was doing. He was just going to split them between the middle and the edge. But then again, it's hard to tell on in trial. Maybe they just didn't want to play him that last 20 minutes. And he is going to be an 80-minute edge. What do you make of his positional change and where do you think that puts him as far as super coach? Um, when it was first named, um, unlike you, I, was, I wasn't I was excited. I was fearful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of went from... Um, he kind of went from being the easiest lay in the world to now all of a sudden you have to think about him because is he is he going to play 80 minutes? Is he going to get... I think, like you said, the guy's an absolute beast. If he's playing some decent minutes on the edge and then going to rotate through the middle for some base and then go back to the edge or whatever, or whatever how, many, how many points is he going to score? Is he going to, going to average 80? But um, then I come back to the fact that... Uh, I had a quick chat to Wilf about him, and I think he recalls him averaging sort of 51 or something last time he was on the edge. That might have been 1987 or something or other. <laughs> yeah, but he was about four years old last time he was on the edge, but carry on. He, yeah, he probably still takes 16 of them over the line with him. You just need to you just need to remember, it, it doesn't matter how big the bloke is or how good he is. He's already priced at a 72 if he plays on the edge and scores two or three tries a game, his base is obviously going to be a little bit lower. Do you think he's going to be um, scoring any more than a 72 average to really, really hurt you? Probably not. And that's the thing that um, held me back. Um, I mean, I, look, if he plays 80 minutes on the edge with some, some middle rotation, I would have put it past him to beat that 72 average. Um, I, I think he could average 
a ridiculous amount, like a 75 or something, and been one of those best forwards that we've seen ever up there with the Corey Parkers and, and Paul Gallons in his prime. He's not going to do that much better because you just don't get players that average 85 points. You know, it's just, it doesn't happen. It's impossible. So, yeah. you know, he, I, I agree with you. I think that you're only going to be a few points worse off, even if he absolutely brains it and ends up doing that in 80. Upside of not having him is that if he doesn't play 80 and it is like a 60-odd minute rotation, even to start with, he's probably going to struggle to hit that 72 average as it is, um, even with the extra attacking opportunity because of the lack of work that he's going to get tackling-wise outside of the middle. So if he's playing 80, I'm really excited. If he's not playing 80, then I'm not even looking at buying him for round one. Yeah, look, any any forward where you have to rely on um, on attack, I'd be fearful of. Yeah. All right, so I think we both agree that um, if we can get a confirmation that Lolo's 80 on the edge and he's a buy, but if he's um, if he's playing less and he's going to be a 60-minute guy rotating, even still, it's probably a wait and see. Um, but another, another guy that um, is now being confirmed on the edge and played big minutes in the charity shield was Sam Burgess. And this is an interesting one, Billy, because he's really divided opinion. I did the roundup for the South preview with one of the other guys. Um, I think it was me and VK talked about it. And we were both pretty keen on, on Burgess, but a little surprised. He's about 18% ownership last time I checked, but um, that's very low compared to previous years with Sam Burgess. He's also only 560000 which is really cheap. One of the worries was that um, he only just scraped up uh, a 60 average last year. Um, and there was a little bit of question mark on Wayne Bennett going across and what his minutes would be, and particularly if he was going to be on the edge, how that was going to work. It looks like, um, based on everything that we've seen in the trials in this preseason and what's been said, he's going to spend his starting time, he's going to start with it on the edge, uh, and then he's going to potentially rotate through the middle, um, or he's just going to stay on the edge the whole time. Either way, he's going to be um, playing pretty close to 70s, if not 80 minutes for the game, so... He actually looks like a pretty good, sturdy option in my front row forward, and I've actually got him in at the moment, and I've been pretty, I guess, buoyed by um, his pre-season. I agree with you. I've had him the whole time, mate. He's never left, left, never left the team. I'm just going to cut through a couple of stats really, really quickly. I know, I, know, I know what you said about him having the lowest average of his career, but what everyone hasn't done is... They haven't taken the last four games out. He was playing busted the end of last year. You can't count that. You can't count four games where the guy's playing with broken ribs or shoulders or whatever you call it. Take those four games out where he was playing uh, not fit and not and you know, clutching in his body the whole time, um, as well as the one round where he actually came off after 20 minutes where he was busted. He scored 13. Take those out. His average was 67 for the year. That yep. was with one try. That was with one try all year, mate. There's nothing wrong with him. The bloke's fine. I'll t- happily take a 67 average for a front row forward price to the 60. So he's in. Do you um? Are you thinking that he's going to stick on the edge? Um, and do you think that the edge is going to um, take away from his output? I, I really don't think that it will. Um, he got stuff all attack last year, so being on the edge, I'm probably maybe, seeing him maybe, being some more. Maybe, but maybe he could play for um, he could play on the wing for the Eels for 80 minutes for all I care, and I'll still have him in my front row. Virgin. <laughs> 67, mate. I'll take him. Big endorsement. All right. He's only 560k, and I think that the preseason um, warrants definitely considering him for selection. He um, His form looked pretty good. He was a strong performer in the Charity Shield game as well. Um, All right. And just, 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 like you said, mate, the guy had his absolute worst career ever. Everyone thought he was dog shit, and he still scored 61. 
you find a front row forward who's guaranteed to score 61, then I'll take him. Well, that was my biggest argument with some guys that aren't his biggest fan for this season. He's um he's not going to do any worse. Um, you know, 60 is his lowest average, and that's still gun status. Um, and particularly for the front row forward spot, it's still gun status. So I feel like that I'm I, I don't have any downside, but I still have some upside with him. Um, but guys that probably don't have much upside, let's move on from positional changes and have a little bit of a look at form around the grounds during our final trial weekend. Someone's form who was concerning uh, was Damien Cook. Um, he didn't run the ball too much, um, didn't quite look as dynamic as normal, and McKilrake just keeps seeming to pop up on the bench in the trials, which everyone has said, surely Wayne Bennett doesn't start with a, another hooker on the bench. But um, i got to tell you, if I owned Cook, I'd be a little bit concerned. Um, and not owning Cook, which I don't, um, I feel pretty vindicated not having him in my side. Um, yeah, I was a little bit concerned when I saw the um, stats, but then um, one, of the, one of the lads that we chat to made, made a really, really good point. Um, it's a trial. How many, time, how, many, how many times in a trial do you think a hooker's going to run from dummy half and, and try and get through the line and score points? Mate, they really don't, in a trial, they really don't give a crap about points. It's all about getting, getting the ball for the halves and letting them do the right combinations and Go through the motions and get get everyone working as a team. I'm 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 I fully support um, Marty. He won one of the low support this up in that Cook was probably instructed just to get the ball straight out the back, let the boys do their thing, come off um, fresh and healthy, uninjured. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, you you can only take so much away from trials. Um, I I probably take a little bit more away from the charity shields each year than the other trials, just because they're more full strength teams probably more of a, a closer to a full strength hit out than the other trials because it actually means a little bit more but yeah I, I, I wouldn't say that um you know it's you, you can't own cook um, I just think that it's I'm comfortable not owning him because I think that he's not gonna you know absolutely kill it more so than his price yeah. at least. well the other guy aside from cook that's a big name purchase is another top three point scorer or actually top four five point scorer from last year. Uh, is Ponga. So, Kalen Ponga um, obviously played in the All-Stars game and had a bit of a mixed bag at 5-8. By all accounts, the Cronulla Sharks absolutely demolished the Newcastle Knights in the trial on the weekend. And uh, Ponga was one of the ones singled out for a bit of criticism, not being positioned in the right place, um, which I saw a few times, I guess. I'm a Ponga owner, and to be honest, I'm I, it, one part of me is very happy that so many people are going ballistic about how he's looked in the trials because his ownership's been dropping. Um, and the the, you know, the other part of me, the podcast Barnsley, is sitting there going, guys, what are you doing? Like, he played half a game in the All-Stars game uh, and it was an All-Stars game and he played terribly, apparently, even though I watched it and I didn't think he was that bad. And he still scored 40-something points. Um, same thing on the weekend. I think that the Knights only scored one try and he was a try assist, line break assist for the try. And he kicked the goal from the sideline. Again, he, he still scored you know, 48 points or something in what was meant to be you know, the most horrid performance you'll ever see someone trying to adjust to playing 5-8. So you know, if those are his worst scores, that should tell you something about how good it's going to be to own him. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, worst case scenario, he's, he's not going to lose too much money. Like, even if he only averages 50, he's going to, it's going to be a slow-burning a slow cash loss. And he's still going to give you some points. The Bucks, I mean, the Bucks kicking goals for us. So, um, 
but in saying that, uh, I've gone off him only because I've switched him with SJ. SJ is an established an established half half with an insane opening draw, playing second receiver, not the guy that has to do everything now. So a guy like SJ, who's proven to score between 160 and 180 on a good day, as opposed to Ponga, who just consistently scores between 65 and sort of 80. Um, I just like the idea of having a much higher ceiling type bloke early. Um, so for that reason, I've opted to leave Ponga for now and just see how he goes. And, and worst case, you know, I pick him up around six if I have to. But yeah, there's, there's, there's no reason to sell, but there's no reason to buy. It's just one of those the gut feelings of these guys. Yeah, for sure. And I understand you going for a different route. I guess, um, my not understanding coaches are thinking is more towards the ones that already own him. So I guess probably the advice I'll finish up on with Ponga's trial form is that if you were, I feel like if you were sold on him having a big year and you're sold on the player that Ponga was, that you've had him in this side for this long, that nothing you saw in a couple of trial matches so far should waver you from thinking he's going to have a completely different season. So if you were sold on him and you had him in your side, I wouldn't be running to drop him. It was, um, you know, a couple of trials. Um, he already ended up with attacking stats and scoring decent, even though he played terribly and only played half a game. So, yeah, I think that you should just stick strong myself. But um, there is other options out there, like Billy said. Um, but let's talk about some of the good form guys. Um, we mentioned Moylan a little bit earlier, and uh, one of the things that drink water going down meant for me is that I could change my side around to have... Moylan come in at 5'8 at, um, for me, where I can swap him directly with Ponga at reserve fullback. So the dual positioning really works quite well for me. Um, but Moylan absolutely carved up in the, in the preseason and has looked fantastic. We said on the podcast that um, fullback's his better position. Uh, I called him out as a good pod play because of the Sharks' draw and fullback being a much better position for him and being able to play off the back of some other playmakers as well, like Sean Johnson coming in. We saw all of that on display uh, by an estimated count. He scored about 40 points in the first half alone on uh, last week's trial. At 478k, with that preseason form, it did get me a little bit excited. Yeah, he, he just so hit and miss for me. Like I, I, I didn't see the game, but I know what you're talking about. The guy can go on a tear. Like he, he had a 134-point game and a 114-point last game last year. Um, so he can definitely sort of go off chops when he sort of feels like it. But yeah. just having a look at the two games where he's listed at fullback last year, he smashed an 83, but he also smashed a 22. I just kind of come back to the question that I'm asking myself, saying how can how can how can a fullback with his quality make five tackles and he had 13 points of hit ups in a game? Yeah, he's I, he's I, probably I, more of a roller coaster than what SJ was. I just don't see the work rate. And uh, if a guy's going to score 140 every now and then, that's great. But if he's going to score me 20 um, every second game, I, you can take your 120 and shove it. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. I, I guess from my perspective, um, a couple of things that I look for in the trials and what I was looking at with Moylan. Uh, one was I wanted to see that he was comfortable and that he looked the same as he did in fullback you know, three years ago, uh, which he was. Um, and the other thing was as well, if the Sharks are doing well and scoring a lot of points, I wanted to be able to see that Moylan was going to be a big part of that, uh, which he was. So one of the things that you know made me happy to put him in the side 
you know, I kind of asked myself, is he going to be able to, are the Sharks going to be able to put on a lot of points with their draw to start off the season for the first sort of six, eight weeks? Um, and looking at the draw, I think they will. He's going to be a big part of that. Hence, I don't think his inconsistency is going to play as much of a role. Later on, um, for sure, when, and when they play the harder games, like they played the Storm in round eight and the Roosters in round five, that's probably the only two real hard games they've got in the first two months of the season. They're going to be rough ones. But because he does do well when the Sharks are scoring points and he is going to be involved, and we saw that you know, in the preseason, I think that you're probably going to get a better first half and second half, if that makes sense. Yeah, and he just has to be a finisher too. And he's got SJ this year too. Um, I think uh, more reports, him, him and SJ were, were, were sort of doing that interchange role with being second receiver and who, as opposed to who was finishing off too. So, mate, those two could pretty much pop up pop up anywhere so is it, there's probably a few extra extra is it four or six points for involvements four points yeah there's probably a few extra points on on off the forum if you a lot of sweet play happening with that um Eel, eels and titans game um draws aren't everything it doesn't mean that certain teams are going to be sort of um, pushovers especially early it's it's an even slate everyone's going to be fighting tooth and nail for uh, get a couple of wins and you know as well as I do, mate. The last, I think it was last year. At one point, you could have turned the, the draw upside down. It would have resembled the um, the finish the yeah. the final finishes from the from the year before. So anything can happen. But yeah, you still need to look at opponents like Eels and Warriors and Titans and think, look, someone's destined for a potential big score there. So yeah, he yeah, plays. I, he, I can see, I can see the reason for grabbing him, mate. He plays the Titans in round two and in round nine. So <laughs> it's. Uh... It's quite nice to play him twice, and he's got the eels in there as well as um, the cows as well. So that he's got, and then Manly in round ten. So he's got some pretty good sides in that first half of the year to go up against. Um, another guy that absolutely looked on fire in the preseason though is uh, Jai Arrow, um, one of the guys that's slowly becoming one of your boys, mate. He's, um, I've got him penciled in as, as pretty much as close to a must-have as any gun player in the game. Uh, based on the minutes that he got in the trial and his form and how fresh he looks, he he looks like such an underrated forward prospect to start with round one. Well, mate, I penciled him in around sort of August last year when I started doing my team for this year. <laughs> he looked great in the trials. Um, I mean, can you... I'm, I'm struggling to try and make an argument that he's not a must-have for round one based on how good he looked in the trials and all the work he's put in. Oh, mate, you just got to go and look at his work rate in his minutes last year. The bloke averaged... Oh, Hold on, I'll pull it up. But um, the reason why a lot of people aren't interested in him or think they're not interested in him is because they they look at his sort of mid 60 ish minutes last year and think, oh, he's not going to play 80. So what? The, the bloke's like at 1,000 points per minute. So he does his best work only playing sort of 60 odd, 60 odd minutes. So um, if he gets 80, great. If he doesn't, um, hold on, let me just pull it up. Yeah, two of the things that I wanted to see from him in the trials and in the preseason was one, I wanted to see that he was actually healthy, um, which he is, and apparently he's sworn off alcohol and, and done a whole heap of work that Wilfred was talking about on the pod with me um, when we're going yeah. to the Titans. And then the second thing I wanted to see that it was that he was going to get minutes. Um, and we saw in the preseason trial he, he played quite a few minutes. Um, he was above 55 minutes, definitely, and that was his average last year. So. He did 55 minutes last year and, and was scoring 64. That's pretty much unders. Like he's 
he's going to get at least 60 minutes plus in that Titans back row. And he could even, they could even say, you know what, we're going to start playing him 80 minutes. It's not unheard of. Yeah. And he's looking really yeah. fit. And that's, that's a 75 type average. Yeah, all right, here you go, dude. So if, if you count his games off last year alone, but take out the one game where he came off after 18 minutes, he averaged 69 last year. He's priced in the 64. So that alone tells you to buy him. Um, the last few, four games of the year, he played sub-50 minutes because the guy was just spammed. He was absolutely gonski by then. If you take those out, he's averaged 73. So um, <laughs> 73 off 59.5 minutes. Yep, look, I'm, I'm sold, sold, sold. Seeing him in the preseason um, and seeing him run around a little bit, and it's it's completely sold me. I'm going to say to everyone that's making their side from round one that Jairo should be the first player that you pick in your forward back. And I wouldn't be surprised if and he's let, the number one at the end of the year. Unless Dean Pay pulls his head out of his ass and lets Martin play 80. I'm still going for Arrow, mate. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the I'm other, sure, I'm sure the I'm sure the coach has a legitimate reason. Well, that goes on nicely to our, our next one, which is aside from form, we've also got players that appear to be dumped, um, and the only guy that really is of relevance is Martin. So, um, based on the preseason and the trials, it looks like that uh, Reese Martin's going to be playing second grade, um, which has a lot of ramifications. One, you're obviously not going to start with Reese Martin, even though one of the Fox guys drafted him in their draft last night on live television. But uh, <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> oh Jesus! Um, that was a waste of draft mate, pick. But then, then you had a guy. Oh, um, give, give, get, uh, got to give them a break. At least they're doing. They're recognising that fantasy footy is something that people are in, uh, really ripping, wanting to get into, and to give them a go. They'll mature as they mature as they go, as long as they realise that they need super coaches, not real coaches. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a bit of fun. So um, hopefully they expand on a little bit. But yeah. So one of the things that Reese Martin not playing does open up is um, it makes potentially CHN to be a really good option. If he's starting uh, at 400k, you can plug him in the centre wing. It's just a matter of whether CHN is going to get the start or not, or whether it's um, going to be him on the bench. Yeah, I, even if he does start, I'm not too keen on him, but um, I can see why people would. I mean, a second row at his price, you can't. You can't um, flinch at it and not even have a look, mate. He's um, when he first came out for Penrith, he was he was an absolute gun. Like he was just hitting hitting lines, getting through, scoring like like no man should. But I think he just sort of, since then, he's, since his inaugural year, he's sort of calmed down a bit, come back to the pack a little bit. And as his minutes have kind of dwindled dwindled a little bit, I think he's just been a forgotten guy. Maybe he can step up and do another job again. Um, I reckon the fact that uh, Martin's gone um, so out of the frame for now and he's got an opportunity to cement a spot, he'll probably put his hand up and rip it and, and give it his best. But, um, yeah, I, I, for me, I'll think I'll just sit back and watch, especially with uh, so many um, so many good options in that second row, starting with that Murray and Arrow and Crichton and you know the rest of the crew. Yeah, it also looks like there's a potential for Dean Pay to start Adam Elliott, which is just such a massive waste. Um, I've got no idea why why Dean Pay would do that um, when you've got RFM, CHM, and Josh Jackson. That could easily be that back row, but apparently that could happen. Um, but that's probably going to be the extent of the relevance of Reese Martin going. It's just going to be a matter of whether CHM can get that spot starting and take a heap of minutes, or whether he'll be on that bench, and that'll be the 
the main supercoach relevancy for um for Reese Martin being dropped. Um, yeah, let's just hope Martin turns up at any other club than the Cowboys. Yeah, well, that's the thing. The rumour now in this preseason is that he's going to um, be playing at the Cowboys within the next couple of weeks, but that's going to be a bench role if that happens. So it's probably the worst spot, isn't it? But we can we can hope that he goes somewhere else, like maybe, I don't know, the, the Parramatta Eels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that probably wraps up our preseason um, around the grounds and updates. Um, so let's go into our deep dive strategy for the end of the podcast around our buy planning. Um, so, Billy, obviously there's a couple of different stages of buy planning to think about as a super coach player. <coughs> one of them is definitely prior to round one. Um, there's some things to think about on how you're going to start your side and how much uh, buy planning you're going to take into account for your round one team. Then, obviously, there's the, the slow build towards the buy plan and, and what you're going to do just pre and post the, the, the buys. How much... Um, stock or thought do you put into the buy planning leading up to round one and your TLT? Um, a lot, but uh, in past years, I've generally come to sort of buy the, the first buy round and been pretty much ready with my 17, only to have six go down with injury and two not named and someone selected for origin. And I <laughs> end up having sort of 13 instead of 17 and every man his dog who didn't plan at all who has an absolute full strength team up until round 12 all of a sudden has nine and they picked the one that scores 150 so by planning is a little bit overrated <laughs> however um you do need you do need to plan <coughs> that's how you choose people like still lane and sort of surges early because it does save you a few trades and if things fall into place then it does really help um, the one thing I'm going to mention here is the, the benefit of having some really solid mid-ranges, a good way to go as opposed to just going the full gun and cheapy strategy. And the reason is, if you if you think you're not going to buy someone like Turbo or Jervo because you think, oh, look, then they're going to drop a, bit, drop a bit of coin first and then I'll buy them, how are you going to get them around six or seven? It's not like your 164K cheapies are going to you know, increase 400K in time for that. And you're not going to be able to sort of sell two of them. And if if you do, who are you going to upgrade? I think that's where someone like um, you know your, your, a Capewell comes comes into play. Someone who can increase in price around three, four, five, six, get sort of four rises, maybe averaging around sort of fifty per week, and platform themselves from a you know, a three forty to maybe a, a four sixty type bloke. And I mean, that's a reasonable enough platform to you know. Or, to springboard yourself from someone like um, you know, him to you know a ponger who might dip to sort of 580 or you know, uh, a um, anyone anyone who feel might be just about to hit their straps or, or, or start having a good run of teams like um, uh, you know like the Knights around round six. So um, to answer your question, yeah, absolutely take buys take buys into account, but don't just go the full guns and cheap. You have a strategy as to who you're going to buy and when you think you might be able to flip them. Yeah, it's that's good advice, and it's something that I I do think about. Um, so probably there's probably two two tiers to it. Um, one is you know starting with guys that are going to save you a trade for round twelve, but the other one is the guys that you're not going to start. Like Billy said, um, have a plan to get them in place if you know that you want them. So probably my example I'll throw out there is um, I'm not going to start with Marty Tapao, but I know that I need him for round twelve. So. Because of that, um, I'm having a look at the, the makeup of my team and looking at who 
I'm going to be able to easily trade to Tapao when he drops in value and when I'm done with someone, whether that be a mid-ranger or a gun that's finished their run. Um, so a, a couple of examples. One is um, Papa Lee from the Warriors. He's about 460000 uh, via Jules. Um, he's not going to play round 12, and I'm probably not going to keep him. So it should be a pretty favourable trade around round 8 if Tapao bottoms out in price a little bit. Um, to almost do a straight swap, uh, and that's going to be pretty easy, and that might be my plan with, with that sort of swap. Um, another one might be someone like uh, a mid-range front row forward like Glasby. Um, if I think that Glasby can make 120k um, and is going to drop 50, I only have to find 50 grand to do a straight swap there. So some of it's um, not necessarily starting with guys, but like, like you said, Billy, just making sure that you've got a plan in place on, on how you can get them in and when. Yeah, I think he might actually surprise you this year. I reckon he might want to keep him to the second round of buys, but it's a long time to keep someone. I reckon um, the first round of buys, probably the guys the guys you want to target, yeah, probably the ones that uh, are high fluff or rely on attack that are more than likely to get it around the buy time. Like uh, to, to, to Pine or to Pennies, however, I always get one name wrong. So <laughs> may, 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 may as well be him this year. Would it be Joe um, Tappany? Like, um, Tappany, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, so but folks like him that have a really have a low base around sort of forty, but have a have a potent, have that potent attack where you know you know they can do well over a short burst. Like um, I think we talked about him a few weeks ago. He averaged the mid seventies at the end of the last year. Tough to sort of buy him early, but if you think he's going to get that attack, then by all means get on him. But you just—he's a type of bloke that you just got to pick the right time to get on, so you don't get too many of those forties and and you hit the ground running. Yeah, and that touches on um, another strategy that I try and look at to separate for round one by planning as well. Um, I'm going to concentrate on buying forwards to start with rather than backs because backs that I want for round 12 for a dime a dozen and you're going to be able to get centre wings cheaper all the way through. So if you want to start with guys that are going to play round 12, I always tend to try and start with the forwards. Um, So probably my favourite thing to do um, prior to round one when I'm looking at the buys, I do definitely look at them. I think it definitely does matter. Um, You just can't take too much stock in it, but I'll make a list of the top of the top first buy guys. Um, so I've got a list of like 10 guys that I think that I have to have for that for that buy. So it's got guys like, you know, Tapao, um, Nathan Brown, Sergis, um, Tapani, um, Kikau's another one when he comes back from injury. And then I have a look at those and I see how many of those guys I actually have because if I've got none of them, it's going to be really hard-pressed for me to actually hit round 12 um, and have all those guys playing. I'm going to have to start with some of them. So first I go through and see how many I have. I don't want to have all of them. I'm happy enough if I have half of them or or even less is fine as long as I have a plan in place. But what I do use that list for is um, as a tiebreaker. So if I've got two front row forward prospects and I can't choose for round one, um, so let's say you know Burgess is one and maybe um, Fafita is another one, you know, and there's obviously a price difference to take into account there of like 80 grand. Um, if, I, if I'm happy to go either way with my team build and have Fafita or Sergis, I'll pick Sergis because he's got that round 12 buy cover. Um, and that's sort of a tiebreaker. If I feel the same way about both of them and the points work out with how I use the rest of the money. If I've got two guys that are priced exactly the same, um, so maybe a Tapani, for instance, 
um, and uh, another second rower who's not playing round 12, like a um, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, um, for instance. They're priced pretty similar. If I feel the same way about both of them, that they're both going to average you know, 62 points, I'd go with Tapani because that's one less trade I have to make later, and I'm just as happy with him as what I am Fitzgibbon. So I definitely recommend anyone who wants to do buy planning before round one to write a list up of the you know the top 10 guns that you're going to want on your side from round 12, and then just see whether you can tick off a few of them before you actually start in round one, because otherwise you're going to have to have a pretty robust plan in place to be able to compete. Yep, 100%, buddy. I agree with you. So um, that's a little bit of an insight into some buy planning and stuff for round one, guys. It's a little bit... Um, far out, so you don't have to take it into account too much. But like me and Billy, both on the same page, I think it's it's important to think about because if you don't think about it, um, you know I've seen some rookie teams where they've started with no one that plays that first buy, like literally no one, um, and they've just been stuffed for that round and dropped you know ten thousand spots after starting off well the first half of the season. So one thing to add there: don't don't take buy rounds with a grain of salt. I mean, take them seriously, but don't invest too much time way too much time in them because ultimately once the buy round's finished assuming you hit that assuming you hit that round with a full strength side that's the side that you have to feel feel round 13 and 14 and 15 as well so exactly you got you got to remember all your full strength guns are going to come back from origin and most of them are still going to play 80 so sometimes it might be okay to treat it as you know um, as three rounds do you think someone like Jervo playing Round two rounds, you know, thirteen and fourteen, will still outscore someone like I don't know um, Tapani over over three rounds, and if so, by how much? Okay, so maybe Tapani might score an extra forty points. Is that worth a trade, or do you think that um, Jerbo saving a trade can make it up and you just buy it, get a couple of bums in the semi three quarter who might, you know, look at sixty or seventy or eighty and sort of make those points? So. Don't invest too much time in having full strength 17 because the guys that you sell, uh, obviously you can't get those back straight away. So you're going the difference in their points between the, your first round buyer team for the next three or four, to, four rounds until you can actually uh, flip it all back to the way you had it prior. Yeah, really good point, mate. It's a, it's a whole um, quality over the quantity argument as well. Um, and when I'm making that list, I'm only putting down guns or near guns. Um, I'm not putting down other guys because guys like um, even someone like a Cam Murray, you know, um, you you might get to round seven and he peaks in price, even though he looked really good on the weekend. And, and you might be looking at needing to sell him to make your 180 grand out of him. Otherwise, you're going to lose cash. Um, he's probably not the best example, but there's going to be other guys um, where you can't just say, oh, they're going to play, you know, round 12. So I've got that number. Um, C&K for the Raiders is probably a great one. You know, CNK's 275k. He does play round 12, but if you wait until round 12, in all likelihood, you're going to lose a bucket of cash waiting to play him. So I wouldn't have him on my list for, for round 12, and I, I wouldn't be counting on him to be there. Um, I'd just be counting guns, like you said, Billy, and not worrying about the the lesser players or having them there for that, and those are the ones you can kind of sort out later. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not just that. Like A bloke like CNK, like, he's in a niche position. He's a buy-round player playing a fullback. Fullbacks are great because they, they're the only bloke back there. They get the kick, retu- kick returns, the tackle bus, and they're generally the last person in the play. They can generally get that one-break assistance, run assist every now and then. So 
they're a dime a dozen and, and they're very, they're very uh, special people you want to have in your team. But if, if someone like CNK all of a sudden peaks, you know, sort of 580 grand off the back of a couple of six scores, but, you know, he's been punching some 30s as well. Don't think for one minute you've got to keep him for the next five rounds. Get rid of the bastard for another bum or someone or some other cheapie because just think what you can actually do with that 580 grand for the next five rounds before the buyers even come. You could potentially upgrade to Turbo who gives you an extra 140 points before that buy even comes. So you pretty much made up CNK's score in round 12 twice before it even comes. So just think of how quickly you can maximise points before um, before you even get to that round 12. Yep. Exactly. So I'm going to rattle off my list of guys that I'm looking at for round 12 um, as potentials to give you a bit, a bit of an idea as an example. You can tell me what you think and then we'll finish up the, the buy strategy, Billy. So uh, yep. to, to Powell, Nathan Brown, Sergis, Croker, Hodgson, Tomalolo, Tapani and Kikau. Those guys are not playing Origin. They are all playing round 12 and they are spread across all positions and they also... Um, are guys that could feasibly be in your side for round one as well to consider. Mine's pretty similar. Probably got a couple of extras in there, maybe. I don't know who they are yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, guys. Apart from, well... from Holland, Holland's one I want to get in there. Oh, let's not talk about Holland. He's the ultimate pod. We don't want anyone jumping on Holland except for us. No, we'll listen anyway, mate. <laughs> well, that, uh, that probably wraps us up for tonight, Billy. The next one's going to be when we've got our TLT and we're ready to roll. Very nice. Can't wait. Can't wait, mate. Thanks for jumping on tonight. Good luck for your final team changes. Thanks, buddy. Any chance to talk footy, mate, just come and get me. <laughs> Cheers, Billy. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. This will be our last pre-season one. Um, we'll have another podcast out next week for TLT um, leading into the first game of the season on Thursday night. We'll be trying to get that one out on either Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, it's going to be a bit of a tight one, though, with the Thursday night game, so we'll do our best. Uh, sorry we can't get down any earlier, but now that the season's started, we'll, we'll go back to our weekly podcast so you can listen to us, um, review the rounds, and also talk about TLT. Uh, you download us on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes as well. Follow us on NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars on Twitter. Uh, and please do share us around and stuff as well, guys, and give us a plug. Um, we've got a good amount of listeners now, which is great. We get some fantastic feedback, uh, and it's always really appreciated. So... Thanks very much for listening uh, and good luck with um, TLT in the next few days for your round one teams.
Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. Uh, this is Barnsey and I'm here tonight with Billy chatting exactly one week away from our first game of the 2019 season. I can smell the grass, Billy. I'm excited. I can smell TLT, mate. Ready to go. Well, TLT's even closer. Jeez. Um, there's, a, there's a reason why they call it the Supercoach Christmas. It's... um. It's exciting times next Tuesday, only a few days away, mate. It's going to be fantastic. Um, how's your team coming along? Are you finding the preseason an easy one or a bit hard? No, nah, it's a difficult one this year. Um, even with all the cheapies, I kind of figured that 